You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Every article of clothing, every accessory worn by a member of the military must conform to the regulation, but there are gaps in compliant clothing available for service members, particularly women. While I was on active duty, finding a purse that fell under military regulations was more than difficult. It was impossible. The purse I had found was technically non-compliant, but every purse I had found had one thing that made it so it did not meet standards. Luckily, Wilco Life understood this need and created an online boutique of minimalist style bag and accessories that meet military regulations. And even if you are not looking for a military regulations purse or bag, you should check out Wilco Life since they also offer and carry product from veteran-owned companies that don't meet military regulations. Go to wilcosupplyco.com, use the code airmentomom, and save 15%. That's wilcosupplyco.com with the code airman, the number two, mom, to save 15%. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Women of the Military. Today's guest is Vanessa King. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a mom of two. I have a two and a half year old and a almost four month old. I was in the military from 2011 to 2014. I did Air Force ROTC in college for four years. And before that, I was in the Civil Air Patrol for gosh, seven years. And (laughs) and my dad was also in the military. So that's kind of where my love of aviation came from. He retired in 2001, right before September 11th. So that's kind of, the military has been in my blood for as long as I can remember. So my dad met my mom in the Philippines, which is where he was stationed. And I was born there in Clark Air Force Base, or Clark Air Base. So it kind of started when I was born. (laughs) So your parents met while your dad was stationed in the Philippines? Yes. Yep. And then they got married and had you? Yep. Uh, they got married in the Philippines. They kind of had a shotgun wedding because they were going to, my dad was going to have to PCS to Germany. So they did like one of those quick weddings just to set the peace so that she could come with him. And I was born in the Philippines in 88. And then they moved to Germany when I was like 18 months old. So I don't remember Germany. I wish I did. <laughs> and your mom is from the philippines yes that's an interesting backstory so did you have dual citizenship for america and the philippines i was i'm considered like an american born overseas or something so i never had dual citizenship i didn't even know like that was a thing until a long time like you know 10 years ago right but i'm totally okay with you know being a american citizen 100 (laughs) percent. i just was curious Erin, can you talk a little bit about Civil Air Patrol? Because I haven't had anyone talk about it, and I know a little bit about what it is, but my listeners may not. Sure. Well, a little backstory or context of going into the Civil Air Patrol. I was in the Girl Scouts for like forever, but I was, I've always been really interested in aviation, and my dad found out about the Civil Air Patrol through some coworkers, and that you could learn how to fly through the Civil Air Patrol. 
So like glider flights and powered aircraft, flying little Cessna 172s. So that was what really got me motivated to do it. And at that point, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to join the military, but I knew I've always loved flying. So I joined, I was terrified because <laughs> all these, you know, big kids, I was like 13, you know, when I first put on a, a uniform, um, it was BDUs back then. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about leadership and, you know, just camaraderie with other kids my age who had similar passions of aviation. You know, you ask a 13-year-old and not many 13-year-olds like, your, you know, care about airplanes. So <laughs> it was really neat. We got to go on a lot of tours, base tours, search and rescue missions and stuff like that. And you just learn a lot of cool skills that you don't really do in like the Girl Scouts or other you know, middle school, high school type things, unless you're, you know, in JROTC or something like that. So um, it was a great way to get involved with my dad, especially because my dad was involved as a, an adult, as a senior member. And it was just a neat thing to learn more about aviation, about military history. In a way, it was kind of, it kind of backfired when I did ROTC and then when I joined active duty because Civil Air Patrol, they do things a little differently than ROTC. And so I had to like unlearn some things, mostly when it came to like marching and drill and stuff like that. Okay. So some of the stuff was a little, at least when I, in the detachment, I was in that detachment. I forget what they call it in Civil Patrol. It's been a while. Like the unit that you're with, the leadership kind of taught us wrong in some things. So I had to unlearn it <laughs> when I did ROTC. And relearn it. So why did you decide to join the military? It wasn't anything that was imposed upon me, but I kind of wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps. Some of my earliest memories were watching him put on his boots in the morning. And, you know, I'd always walk around, like try and put his boots on and wear his BDU cap and stuff. And I just remember him always traveling. Like he was gone a lot, you know, naturally, but like always looking forward to getting boxes from him and getting the 30 minute phone call, you know, and, and stuff like that. And I always thought it was really neat, you know, to get to experience traveling and, and stuff. And then it, kind of went down to more practical reasons like how am I going to pay for college oh ROTC scholarship and I kind of revisited the fact that I wanted to fly and so my main goal into going into the military was to be a pilot I didn't care what they put me in you know I just wanted to fly and then my detachment commander told me I was too short so he told me to not even bother to apply for a pilot slot which I was really 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 upset about and I was actually so mad that I almost pulled out of her TC and enlisted because I was so upset that I couldn't be a pilot. And then I found out that I got aircraft maintenance as my career field. And I was also very upset about that because I didn't want to fix airplanes. I wanted to fly them. <laughs> so, but, you know, all that aside, like I, I did want to join the military to kind of carry on the tradition because my great grandfather served in World War One. My grandfather served in World War II. And my dad was in Desert Storm. So, when I did get to deploy, I was in Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan in 2013. So got to pass that torch on in my family, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Let's talk a little bit about your deployment to Afghanistan. What were you doing? Sure. I was an aircraft maintenance officer with the 74th Flying Tigers out of Moody Air Force Base in Georgia. And we were there from March to October of 2013, and we were with the A-10s there. So we were helping, the pilots were doing their thing, <laughs> and we were just making sure that their A-10s were working. And I was the assistant OIC of our AMU, our aircraft maintenance unit there. It was a huge learning experience, and I was actually there from June to October because I got married <laughs> in May 
of that year. And I found out I was deploying after I was already engaged and it was super complicated situation, but my commander actually was very gracious in figuring out how I could still deploy, but, you know, deploy later so I could get married. He actually was able to find a reservist who was willing to go for the first half of my deployment. So he went for the first half and then I went for the second half. So we tapped out halfway through and my uh, my OIC, he was like, it's a good thing because the first half of the deployment was hot mess. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> Every like the leadership, everything was just really disorganized and you know not very not running very smoothly. So he said, "You came at the best part of the deployment, where we kind of you know all the wheels are greased and everything's moving a lot smoother." So that's yeah, nice that yeah. your commander worked with you to make it so that you could not miss your wedding and still get to deploy. And it was it was hard as a newlywed, like leaving your husband after a month of being married so right. it was very difficult but I mean looking back I wouldn't trade it it was a great experience it was a hard experience but I'm thankful for it where were you at when you were in Afghanistan I was at Bagram I didn't get out much <laughs> I pretty much only saw my room and my office and the flight line those are pretty much the only places I saw well maintainers have like they have a hard job to keep the airplane running and to yeah do all the maintenance checks on top of all the problems so that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah it was I mean we we never missed a sortie like that's our pride you know when we were Mm -hmm. there that was our pride was we never missed a sortie we came very close but never did and and, you know if we did we would be getting calls so yeah it was which was funny because we never missed a sortie there but back home we missed them all the time so it's just funny how you know it was it's a different environment when you're there I mean my guys most of them anyway lived for deployments so you know they they definitely got the job done and I was very proud to be part of that unit I mean it was hard we got targeted a lot so we had several actually I think we had a rocket attack pretty much every single night we were there sometimes we had several rocket attacks but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> while you were at Bagram? Yeah. Yeah, it got pretty bad while we were there. Apparently, since the FOPs were closing down, the bad guys were focusing a lot on Bagram, because apparently Bagram historically wasn't really attacked. Yeah, when I was there, I mean, I was there a lot, and one time I was there, and that's when I was there for two full weeks, mm-hmm. we got attacked, like yeah. rocket attack, and I didn't even wake up. I oh, really? In, and it, I don't know. And it was just like one lone rocket. So it wasn't like anything crazy. So yeah, that surprises me that that's mm-hmm. so different. I was there in 2010. So a lot happened. Oh, gotcha. Did you face any challenges while you were overseas? You said that it was hard, but you don't regret it. What made it hard? I think the hardest part about my deployment was really not having any camaraderie with other women. Being an aircraft maintenance officer, you know, my OIC was a guy, my chief was a guy, you know, my, all my flight chiefs were guys. So, and I had two enlisted gals underneath me, but, you know, I couldn't really like go out with them, you know, to get food or anything. You know, I couldn't really, we would talk every once in a while, but, you know, I had to be at that very professional level and stuff. So that was definitely the hardest part. I, I remember um, going back to my room. I worked night shift. So I worked from like two to two. I think it was like 2 a.m. to 2 p.m., if I remember correctly, but I would just cry. <laughs> you know, I would just cry and cry and cry again. I never realized how much I missed, like, just a hug, you know, just, like, having a simple hug from someone, and I'm not, you know, like, a girly girl 
by any stretch of the imagination. Like I am actually pretty tomboyish and but I never realized how much I just like missed hugging, you know, like I just want a hug from somebody. <laughs> and I remember crying and like Skyping with my husband and be like, I just want a hug. That's all I want. So I would just like hug my pillow and just cry. And I think that was probably the hardest part was not really having any anyone to talk to. I mean, I could talk to my captain. I was a first lieutenant when I was, or I actually promoted a first lieutenant when I was in Afghanistan, but, you know, I could, like, talk to my captain, who was kind of, like, a big brother figure. He was amazing. I'm very thankful that he was my OIC, but, you know, and I could cut up with my chief and stuff, but it's not the same, you know, <laughs> like, having just a girlfriend to talk to, and I was very thankful when one of my good friends, she actually did deploy with me, but I never saw her because we were on separate shifts. She was intel, so she worked with the pilots one-on-one and I was you know obviously with the maintenance guys and the maintainers but she her shift changed since she was on night shift with me and I remember when she told me that we were in the bathroom like sobbing hugging each other like yay (laughs) we were so happy because and she had been there since the beginning since March and she didn't have anyone she was in the same boat as me so that was actually probably the hardest part second would be the rocket attacks and we had to wear our IBA pretty much 24-7. When we were out, when we were out of our rooms, like we had to wear it all the time because our building wasn't hardened. So we had to wear our helmets, our Kevlar, everything. And it was, it sucked. (laughs) My, my chief, he had a older version of the IBA and I had like the newer version that was a lot heavier. And I kept asking him if he wanted to trade. He's like, no LT, you got to tough it up. (laughs) I'm like, screw you. (laughs) That's crazy. He was great. I love my chief, but he gave me a hard time. That's um, crazy how much it changed because I never <laughs> wore my IBA inside the inside my fob or on base. We had to wear it all the time, like especially leading up to Fourth of July, leading up to September 11th. We had a actually September 10th was the worst day we were there. That's when we had, I think we had like 18 rocket attacks in the span of three hours. We were basically just like in our bunker. Right. I was in a bunker on the flight line for probably about an hour and we were all like this because there was like 20 of us all crunched up together but yeah that one I actually had to get some counseling done when I came home from that one because of that specific experience but it didn't really hit me till I got home though that night had an impact on me but (laughs) yeah I think when you're overseas you're kind of like on a adrenaline and like it's your daily norm and so your body's just like pushing to get through the deployment and then we get home at all. Is there anything else from the deployment that you want to talk about before I switch gears? You never or I never thought I would appreciate walking on hard ground as much when I came home because it's all the all the gravel and stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. Holy moly yeah I mean the flight line was like pretty much the only part that was hard but yeah. I never thought I would miss walking on, like, a sidewalk because <laughs> of all the rocks there and the yeah. dust farms. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could write a book with all the experiences from there, but that and the camaraderie is something that I really enjoyed, like, just with my, my flight or my unit, and it was, things were different, definitely different there versus home. Like, we actually didn't want to go home. A lot of us didn't because our leadership back home was terrible, so... <laughs> We're like, we actually don't want to go home. We want to stay here, <laughs> which is bad. Like, you know, your home base isn't very good when you actually would rather be deployed than go mm-hmm. back home. Lots of great camaraderie and stuff, so. Yeah, it's the the littlest things that you're like, 
I just want to use a real bathroom. <laughs> like, yeah. I just yeah. don't want to walk. We had gra- a lot of gravel, so I, I can understand that. And sh- taking a shower where you actually feel clean. <laughs> yeah. <that too. laughs> oh, goodness. Our showers were nasty. Did you face any struggles while serving in the military outside of your deployment? I think the biggest struggle wasn't necessarily with the military itself. It was just with my specific leadership that I had. I I had one commander or group, a group commander who, I mean, he was hard. He was like old school, you know, he was prior enlisted in the 80s and then he became an officer. He was real old school, but at least I could, I knew what he wanted. So I could tailor my leadership and my expectations with my guys, you know, to what he wanted. But then I had a a, a vice group commander who was the complete opposite and he was so inconsistent with his leadership style that I never knew like what he wanted so I think the biggest struggle for me was trying to decipher how to lead my guys when my leadership was just so all over the place so it's like it made me in a way struggle with how to lead because my leadership was so inconsistent. So I felt like I was being inconsistent, you know, with the chain of command and stuff like that. But, and I also hated my job, to be quite honest. That was probably the biggest part. I wanted to be an exec so bad. Like I, I didn't necessarily mind being in in aircraft maintenance, but all of the meetings, like all my job was with meetings, meetings and meeting, meetings for meetings for meetings. And I feel like that ROTC did not prepare me for that (laughs) at all. ROTC doesn't prepare you to sit in meetings from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. all day, and then, you know, you still have to do your job, so, <laughs> or I worked a lot of 12 to 14 hour days, sometimes seven days a week, so that, that part kind of sucked. I, I loved being on the flight line. You know, I loved talking with my crew chiefs. I loved talking with, you know, my expediters and the guys on the flight line working, doing all the, you know, nuts and bolts stuff like I loved learning about how they were doing their job and what they loved about their job but I it was very hard for me to actually be on the flight line because of being in meetings all the time so that was probably the biggest struggle and having people take me seriously I think was another part of it too I remember one of my colleagues um, he was also prior enlisted and he became an officer as well and he was like you just got to be a biatch Vanessa you just gotta be a biatch they'll take you seriously if you're that way I'm like but that's not who I am like I don't want to be someone I'm not and so it was just very hard for me to figure that part out to be honest was just how to be taken seriously not so much by my unit like my flight chiefs and stuff like that just by other officers and some other enlisted guys so yeah. yeah my field training officer when I was going through it's the officer version of boot camp she mm-hmm. was a maintainer and she was like you would not make it as a maintainer <laughs> because you're too like soft-spoken and quiet mm-hmm. which I think she just under I mean I would have been able to adapt to it but it's a hard career field to be a female in because of the demands and just because of the culture and the oh way- yeah yeah, the cult, I, just listening, you could just be a fly on the wall in a crew chief's break room, and my office was right next to the crew chief's break room, so I heard a lot of things I did not want to hear. <laughs> it was terrible. If it weren't for my chief, who, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would, like, close the door to our office and just cry. Like, it was bad. I cried pretty much, not every day, but almost every day. <laughs> you know, some days were better than others, but it was hard. Like I, and that's why I didn't last, honestly. In a way, it was a, 
a good thing, you know, that I was deployed and I had that experience. And then coming back, I was like, I can't, I don't think I could do this again, <laughs> to be honest with you. So, yeah. So why, why did you decide to leave the military? Besides that you didn't like your job. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a big part of it. Yeah. And then I actually considered trying to change career fields, but that was not possible based on um, the girl that I talked to and the, what do you call that, personnel. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, so, but yeah, so, and she said that, you know, the demands were, there wasn't any demand for that switch, you know, to that career field, so I was pretty much stuck. And my dad, you know, having been a career airman, you know, he was like, oh, just wait till you get to your next base. And I was like, uh, no, I don't feel like waiting to get to my next base. I'm already really burnt out by this right. one. And I would, I know I would have deployed again. And I don't like mentally, I didn't think I could have survived another deployment because I was having a lot of PTSD and stuff. Like I still can't handle fireworks and everything. So, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't think I could go back, you know, unless they send me to like Qatar or something like right. that. <laughs> or yeah but that was a big thing and my husband and I also really wanted a family and and I knew how hard it would be to leave kids behind because I saw how hard it was for my two airmen who were moms who left their young ones behind and they were young their kids were young that they left home so I honestly I, I couldn't think I could do it and and I just really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I buried that idea for so long because I thought, oh no, you have to become a colonel, you know, you have to do all this stuff. But I was putting that expectation upon myself. Like no one really cared, you know, it's my life, <laughs> my husband and I and stuff. And so that ultimately boiled down to me just really wanting to be a stay-at-home mom and not thinking I could handle another deployment, especially if I was going to be in aircraft maintenance again, knowing I was more than likely going to be on the flight line and all that kind of stuff. So it ended up working out because when I applied for separation, that was when former President Obama was doing the drawdown and my application got approved. And so I was able to, to separate based off of that drawdown. And I was a happy camper <laughs> when that happened. That's interesting that you mentioned that you had like the idea that you were going to be a colonel because I've been thinking a lot about that. I'm, I have a captain who's still in that I've been talking to and mentoring about like if she should stay or if she should leave and she was like but I always visioned myself being in for 20 years and I was like I think ROTC kind of like ingrains that into you mm -hmm. you don't talk about in ROTC I'm gonna do four years and then I'm gonna do something else it's always like career mm -hmm. focus so when I left the military I felt like I had failed because I only did six years only but mm -hmm. you know like that's kind of what ROTC, one of the, like, I think drawbacks or the thing that they kind of miss is that, like, some people don't, we don't need everybody to stay in for 20 years, and maybe the focus should be, like, this is four years of opportunity, and then you can go on your path. I can completely relate. I mean, I only did, oh my, <laughs> I only did, uh, I guess, three and a half active duty and May 22nd of this year is actually when my official obligation is up so which is hard to believe <laughs> it's coming up May 22nd because I commissioned the 22nd of 2011 at the Air Force Memorial by the way which is pretty cool I went to University of Maryland so we're right down the road yeah they definitely I'm, I could never put into words what you just said that is exactly I've been thinking about it a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is exactly right. Um, I think they, they do do that where, oh, you have to be a, you know, a tech commander or 
you know, you have to right. fulfill the ladder, you know, climb up the ladder in your military career. So that is, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> it was just interesting for her to say, like, exactly what I was feeling when I was getting out of the military. And I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. And so it was just, that's when I started like, oh, this this must be an ROTC thing where they like ingrain it that you're going to serve for 20 years and like that's the only option instead of the reality is most people don't stay in for the whole 20. So what was it like to transition out of the military? It was very, at first it was a huge relief. Like I, I felt like literally the world had been lifted off my shoulders just because of how much I dreaded going to work every day and everything. But it was hard finding a job, <laughs> to be honest with you. We didn't have any kids yet, and I knew I needed to work because my husband's income wasn't going to support us at that time and with his job. And for some reason, like, no one wanted to hire me, <laughs> so I ended up being a cashier at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> so, cause they, the, and the only reason why that worked out was because the manager, store manager, um, was a Marine. He was a veteran. Uh, marine veteran and he was like oh yeah I want to help help out a fellow fellow veteran and that was really the only reason why I was hired because he wasn't actually looking to hire anybody so but I, w I was really frustrated you know I thought I have a college degree um, I have all this experience you know in high tempo environments and stuff and you know organization blah blah and I don't I mean it was probably the positions I was applying for to be honest but you know I was still really frustrated <laughs> that and you know, going to the VA and stuff and people are assuming that it's your husband that, you know, you're there for and stuff. And I was like, no, it's me. But I think not having a lot of women to relate with was a, a big thing. So when I, when you contacted me on Instagram, I was like, oh my gosh, like so other women to relate to. I almost cried. I was like, wow. And I remember telling my husband, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm gonna get to talk with another, you know, another woman veteran, and it, you know, it was just really, it's a really neat community that has been found that you're cultivating here, because it's something that I haven't had, especially where we live now, you know, I don't know any other women, female veterans, so I think that's been the hardest part, is not having anyone to relate with, you know, once I, we had kids, I knew I was gonna be a stay-at-home mom, and my husband has a better job now, so you know, I didn't have to work anymore, but that was also, like, the initial hurdle was trying to find a job, <laughs> but now it's, like, having people to relate with, so. Yeah, that's part of what the podcast is all about. Yes, it's awesome. My last question is, what would you tell girls considering joining the military? That's a good one. I think the biggest thing is just to be true to yourself. You know, obviously, when you go through basic or when you go through uh, field training, they're going to break you down and then build you back up. But through that process, still stay true to your personality, you know, learn those leadership skills, learn how to, how to be a good leader, and just stick to your guns. Because I feel like a lot of people automatically see you as a woman and think you're weaker. And that honestly really annoyed me a lot of the time. Because, I mean, I'm also pretty soft-spoken and unassuming, but I can get real fired up. I remember one time one of my airmen was being blamed for something that was not his fault and for some reason or another one of our leadership you know was just giving him a really hard time about it so I like 
drug him into my office. I was like, excuse me, sir, you know, with all due respect, it is not this individual's fault. You know, he had nothing to do with this situation, blah, blah, blah. I was told later that that individual was very surprised since I'm usually, you know, pretty reserved and save my spark for <laughs> when it's necessary. Right. But, but I feel like a lot of, you know, if you're, people assume that if you're an officer, especially, you know, like, oh, she's super type A, she, you know, is loud or very, you know, in your face, but I don't feel like you have to be that way to be a great leader or be a great officer. So if you're not, you know, don't try to become someone you're not because you're going to be exhausted. And I was exhausted by the end of each day because I tried for so long to be someone different. Yeah, just be true to yourself and your skills will shine through. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoy getting to learn a little bit more about your story and talk to you, and hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. Yes, absolutely. I have tons of stories. (laughs) This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want more stories of military women veterans? I just launched a book sharing 28 stories of military women. It includes stories ranging from women in the process of joining the military to women who have served and retired. Stories from the Army, Air Force, Marines, and Navy. But don't take my word for it. Hear what Natalie said about the book. This is a fabulous collection of inspirational stories of endurance, struggles, and women forging their own futures. The diversity of their background and experience is fascinating, but the broad range of military careers is astounding and sets to heart how integral women are are in the military. This is a must read for anyone considering a career with the armed forces or struggling to figure out their future career. The challenge and adjustments these women have made to create the life best suited for them is the type of motivational encouragement that can help others be confident in reaching their dreams. Check it out on my website airmentomom.com or on Amazon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmentomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.